Lord Almighty, we do give you glory. You are worthy of all glory, and we ask that you would open our ears. Lord, you would allow us to hear your word tonight, and you would cause us to put our trust even that much more in you so that we might be the men and women of God you have created us to be. Bless us tonight so that we may be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't ask for challenges that match your strength. Ask for strength that matches your challenges. I repeated this sentence over and over the very first day of climbing Mount Whitney uh, about a month or so ago. And on that day, we climbed 3,700 feet over six and a half miles. Now, I repeated it in my mind because I didn't have the breath to repeat it out loud. It was a tough climb with a 55-pound backpack on your back, and you got to keep going. Has anybody ever felt like that in just daily life? You ever feel like you're climbing 3,700 feet at way high altitude with this great big heavy pack on your back? There are moments that you and I simply need to soldier on. Fortunately, for those of us who are in Christ, we can call on him to give us strength. We can call upon him to give us encouragement to keep us pressing forward up the mountains that we climb. And I think this is a large part of the point of Matthew chapter 8, 1 through 17. Jesus is giving healings because he wants his people to know that he is the Lord Jesus and he is compassionate. He is the physician who heals body and soul. In fact, we're going to find out tonight that we need to ask for the cure and expect the healing. We'll see tonight that there are four individuals and groups of people who are the lowlifes. They are the people from the wrong side of the tracks. They are despised by the people who have got it made. And nevertheless, these lowlifes, these worthless, these despised receive favor from our Lord. We will see that each of these people were cured. Whatever malady they were experiencing, it was taken care of. God, through Jesus, removed this malady. Jesus is the great physician, and no physical problem can stand up to Jesus' loving, powerful, caring hand. However, more importantly, furthermore, we will find that they were healed. We'll see evidence throughout our passage and finally proof at the end of our passage that Matthew's point in giving us these miraculous healing histories is that you and I can trust God. We can trust that God the Father will give us the healing we need, even if the cancer 
isn't cured, even if the child remains wayward, even if we don't have the means to meet our ends. We must, as God's children, ask for the cure and expect the healing. Let's get started in our passage tonight. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When Jesus came down from the mountains, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See, look, pay attention. Behold, that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus reached down and touched the leper. Now we're going to find out in the very next paragraph, he didn't need to touch him. He could heal at a distance. Jesus reached down and touched the leper as an act of compassion, an act of caring for one who likely hadn't been touched for quite some time. This was an amazing act of Love. This was an added grace to the healing, an abundant grace, an amazing grace to one who desperately needed someone to show him physical compassion. Now, upon healing, Jesus gave this former leper a command don't go talk to anyone, but go straight to the priest and offer a sacrifice for the healing that you received. But then he says, for a proof to them. What is that all about? What is this proof and who is the them? Now one possible answer is that Jesus is giving a proof or a testimony if you read the King James or New King James. He's giving this to the law itself. In other words, he's demonstrating that he quote unquote upholds the law as opposed to being lawless as he is very soon going to be accused of being by his enemies. Now to the extent I think that's true, I think there's something else going on here. I think that what is really happening is that Jesus is demonstrating that the law, in fact, points to him as the one who fulfills the law, who completes the law. These sacrifices he commanded the former leper to offer, like the Levitical law itself, are meant to point to the one who completed everything the law was to be. He is the one to whom that law, in fact, pointed. Jesus wanted, in fact, to point out to the priests the power of God with skin on to heal diseases, to cure diseases, to remove the maladies that they are experiencing. Because no one had ever heard of anyone but a prophet cure a leper. And the priests, 
The one who should have been closest to God should have been able to put two and two together and recognize that Jesus is a real messenger from the Lord. Even if they wouldn't have been able to put all of it together, they should have recognized this guy is someone special. We need to pay attention to him. And given the political climate of first century Palestine, Jesus wanted the religious leaders to notice what he was doing because they should have known that the Messiah wasn't some political Messiah, unlike the mass of the common people. The mass of the common people wanted Rome out and they would have gladly followed some miracle worker going around and curing leprosy. This is exactly why Jesus told the leper to tell no one. Jesus knew that if everyone heard about the, the healing, they'd come expecting the overthrow of Rome. And this is exactly opposite, is exactly contrary to Jesus' purpose in the first coming. Now, with this in mind, Christ did miracles of healings for several reasons. I'm just going to give three of them. One was the simple act of compassion. I mean, this man had a dreadful disease. This man had the equivalent disease of what we would call today AIDS. He was shunned by everyone. He needed to be healed of a disgraceful, debilitating, and deadly disease. Jesus, secondly, didn't come as you'd expect a miracle worker to come, to gather power for himself. Jesus, as I said a moment ago, didn't want to be the political Messiah yet. Now, he will one day come, Hebrews 9.28. But he wanted to demonstrate his power so that his followers would know that he could take care of them. Jesus wants you and me to know that Jesus can take care of us. When you know, when you are convinced that he is not here to be a political salvation for all of our woes in Washington and Sacramento, then you'll cease praying merely for a cure to our ailments and you will ask for a healing of your own soul and the souls of those around you, indeed the souls of your nation. There is a good reason why Jesus doesn't cure every malady. We may not know that reason until we see him face to face. But no matter what, you and I can ask for the cure, but expect the healing. So go to your God and ask for the cure. And when you ask, trust he knows what he's doing, and then you will be able to expect a cure. Our passage continues, Matthew 5 verse 8, or 8 verse 5. He says, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion coming forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was astounded. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, there's a couple of keys to understanding this passage. The first we need to understand that the centurion, well, to put it mildly, was an undesirable. If people shunned the leper from fear, they even more shunned the centurion from a deep-seated loathing. They hated him. He was a representative of everything they hated. And the, the evil empire that was idolatrous in coming to force them to worship some other panoply of gods and was the exact opposite of Yahweh. And indeed, that's exactly what Mark's account of this miracle emphasizes. But here in Matthew's gospel, he emphasizes, rather than reaching out and touching an undesirable, in this case, Matthew emphasizes the faith, the trust in Jesus' power based on an understanding of authority. Based on an understanding of authority. Here is the secret. This man had somehow been graced by God with great faith. Great trust in this miracle worker who was in front of him. And God blessed him with the greatest possible gift. You want to know what that is? It's not a BMW. It's not a dinner at the hitching post. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Remember this. Great faith is not because... Great faith is great not because of its fervency or even less its blindness. Great faith is great based upon the greatness of the one who is trusted. Great faith is great based upon the greatness of the one who is trusted. And because the centurion received this gift, Jesus gave him the added blessing, the added gift of a cure. And he says, go, let it be done for you because you have believed. My friends, we have the right, we have the privilege of asking for the cure and we need to expect the healing. Put your trust in the one who can cure you and has already promised to heal you. Put your trust in the one who can take away whatever malady is you are suffering with. And expect him to give you that peace that passes understanding. Expect him to give you that added grace of wisdom when you need it. That added grace of one day being able to 
shuffle off this mortal coil, to use an old phrase, and stand in the presence of the Almighty God. And then we get to the last paragraph of this passage, starting in verse 14. Matthew writes, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and healed our diseases. Now, at first, looking at the story about the leper and then looking at the story of the centurion, you might think that the story of Peter's mother-in-law is kind of out of place. It doesn't really fit. It's just kind of this brief little, oh, by the way, story. But I don't think it was thrown haphazardly into the midst of this collection at all. I think Jesus, Peter, Matthew, one of those guys, I think Matthew put it there on purpose. You see, Matthew is a collection of five literary units. And in each of these units, what you have is a sermon. In this case, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And then after the sermon, you have a short or a longer amount of narrative, of history of what's going on. And in this case, that narrative is chapters 8 and 9. And that's where we're at right now. And so there's five of these that are bookended on either side by an introduction and then a conclusion. The first, or in this particular narrative we have in chapters 8 and 9, we have a collection of three stories of miraculous mostly healings that Jesus is doing. And in between these and at the end, there is a very specific teaching about discipleship, about what it means to be one who follows Jesus. I think it's clearly, it's set up so clear that it has to be that Matthew arranged this material on purpose. So if that's true, and next week we do the first of the discipleship passages, then we have to see that he's making in these healing miracles a discipleship point, a point that you and I must get so that we can be the men and women that God has created us to be. And in this group of miracles, what we see is that Jesus is the master of everything that ails us. There is nothing that stumps Jesus. You can take all of your troubles. In this case, it's physical healings of our body, but we'll see in the next two that he's, he broadens that out farther. But the discipleship point, the point that you and I need to get from these miracles is that we can put our trust fully in Jesus and obey him for our joy, his glory, and for the growth of his kingdom. As I've already said, the miracles are specifically to show compassion and his power. 
He has compassion on the leper, the Gentile, the woman with the fever, and the crowds. And he shows his power over maladies. The quote I gave you at the beginning, the Lord Jesus is a compassionate physician who heals both body and soul. Jesus is this perfect combination of compassion and of power. Back to the story about Peter's mother-in-law. No one in the first century wanted to go touch someone with a fever. A fever in and of itself was considered the disease back then. And whatever else was with it was also just terrible scary. But even more than that, no self-respecting Jewish religious leader was going to go touch a woman with a fever. No man in that culture would go near a woman who was not his mother, his sister, his daughter, or his wife. But Jesus decided to put away all of the religious and cultural taboos because he wanted to reach out with this compassion and grace. He wanted to say to Peter's mother-in-law, ask for the cure and expect the healing. My friends, today, right now, have no fear. Run to the throne of grace where you might find grace in your time of need because he will answer. Run because you will find a gracious and compassionate Lord. And this passage is proof. In fact, the biggest and most important proof is here in the last two verses. That evening in verse 16, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits of the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now we come to the most important fact, the most important verse of the entire passage. The fact that the cure given in each of these cases was not the most important transaction in the mind of Matthew as he wrote these stories. What was most important to Matthew was in the healing, the curing of the leper, in the curing of the centurion servant, the curing of Peter's mother-in-law was the healing that they received and that you and I can receive. Note that in the case of the leper and the centurion, they never asked. All they did was state their need. And in the case of Peter's mother-in-law, there may not have been any asking because she had such a bad fever, she was delirious and she couldn't ask. But Jesus simply in his gracious sovereignty reached and touched them and cured them of their malady. Now we don't know about the crowds, but I do think it's instructive that Matthew includes the note that with a word, Jesus cured them. Now, I don't know if this is true. I'm using my sanctified imagination here. But I can easily imagine Jesus seeing someone in the crowd 
each one of them as an individual, and he banished their malady. Be freed. Be loosed. Be healed. Peace. And the gracious and sovereign, powerful Lord reached out with a word and perhaps even a hand, and he cured them, enabling them to see his power and recognize it so that they might be healed. Furthermore, and here we're going to get to finally describing this healing. Furthermore, in each case, the ones needing help either showed an absolutely true deference, a true submission to Jesus, or if they're submissive words were an accident. It was no accident that, G that Matthew recorded them as such. The leper sought Jesus out, disobeying every custom and law, fighting every stare and every disgusted look, and seeking the one who could cure. Lord, if you will. My friends, that is a disciple's prayer. That is a disciple's prayer this day. Lord, if you will, take your prayers to him. Ask him for the cure. Equally disciple-like, the centurion was even more deferential. Not only did he call Jesus Lord, by the way, think about that just for a second. If his buddy centurions had been standing there, what do you think his buddy centurions would have thought about him calling some itinerant Jewish rabbi, Lord, oh my. If that isn't a disciple's prayer, I don't know what is. Where do we struggle with that? We struggle because we don't want to think of God is Lord of our marriages. We don't want to think of God as Lord of our finances. We don't want to think of God as Lord of our calendars. Take a moment and consider what it would be for our friends to look at us and call some itinerant Jewish rabbi Lord. But this man perfectly explained how authority works. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to one, come, and he comes. And his authority is based on the emperor in Rome. But he recognized, he recognized that authority was coming from Jesus straight, not from the throne in Rome, but from the throne in heaven. You and I would do well to have such an understanding of authority. You and I would do well to stand appropriately under such authority. And Peter's mother-in-law also explicitly gave disciple-like service to Jesus, albeit after she was cured. Matthew records how she rose and served him evidently the instant he, she was cured. She was just itching and dying to jump up out of bed and, and serve him, but she couldn't. Then as the crowds gathered around Jesus that evening and were healed with a word, the disciple-like 
Ness is that they knew where they could go to be cured. They knew who, in whose presence to find themselves. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't really indicate saving faith. Perhaps not. I said we would find evidence throughout the passage, but here is the proof. And the proof is in the most important verse of this passage. Verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now this passage is Isaiah 53, 4. Matthew expects his readers to know that this section of scripture is the most important of the so-called servant songs. Songs where Yahweh gave through Isaiah a description of the Messiah who was to come. And while it's true, it's true that one of the themes going through this passage is that the Messiah would provide physical cures. The emphasis of the servant song is that we would find a compassionate physician healing us of our spiritual distance from the Lord. Healing us of that which is the most important malady, the most important problem we have, and that is the disease of sin in my heart. Jesus wanted the priest to see that Jesus was the Messiah when he cured the leper. And the sign itself, the sign of the one who is able to cure the diseases should have alerted them to know that he was the physician who can heal. This is the passage, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, not for our cancer. Although we find here that we can ask for a cure of cancer. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You need healing of your transgressions and your iniquities. That is by far the greatest thing you need from the great compassionate and sovereign physician. That is what we must expect. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. There it is. There is that healing that we so desperately need. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Brothers. Sisters. In your bouts with cancer. In your bouts with with fear, with depression, with bitterness. You can and should most certainly ask for a cure. Ask that God will remove this difficulty that you experience. In fact, we are given explicit permission for this by Jesus' best friend in 3 John 1, 2. 
He says, Beloved, I pray that it may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Here is explicit permission. Ask him to heal you, cure you of whatever malady you have. But the key will always be as it goes well with your soul. Those in Christ who lose the battle with cancer are nevertheless are never cured of that cancer on earth. We bury their bodies, but they are healed. They are gloriously transformed, and they will never have cancer or diabetes or any other malady ever again. Amen? Amen. They are healed. They are gloriously healed, gloriously alive, gloriously, wondrously, amazingly forever healed. Better than that. Every single one of us in this room knows someone who has traveled through this valley of the shadow of death with us. And somehow they're above, I I wish I had a better word for it, but somehow they are above all the fray in their illness and tragedy. You've seen it. The people who have a peace that passes understanding. They have it because they ask for a cure and they expect a healing. Brothers, Matthew wrote chapter 8, 1 through 17, so you can experience the healing, so that you can expect that God will remove your transgressions and iniquities from you, so that you would know that you know that God is greater than all your weakness. Matthew wrote chapter 8, 1 through 17, so that you would go through this life trusting God through all your circumstances, and so that while you go through them, you will know that your Savior is better than anything that you could possibly have on earth and therefore love him and trust him more. Matthew wrote chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 so that you would not ask for your challenges to mask your strength but that you would ask for strength to match your challenges. This is because it is only when you suffer. This is our point two weeks ago. It's only when you suffer in a way that brings glory to God that you can have the joy the peace that passes understanding, the grace that those around you can respond to in a way that gives God the glory, gives you the joy, and expands his kingdom. Trust your Savior and ask him for the cure, expecting the healing. Lord Almighty, we ask that you would indeed work in our hearts so that we would be cured of the various maladies that we face and that you would give us a healing in our hearts to know that you are with us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.